The time is now. Volume 5, Episode 100. This is Employment Law Now. I am Mike Schmidt, your host and the Vice Chair of the Labor and Employment Department here at Cozen O'Connor. 100 episodes. Unbelievable. So it is hard to believe uh, that we've had 100 episodes of this podcast already, and it almost feels to me like I've spent all 100 episodes either on COVID-19 or on the vaccination issues surrounding COVID-19. But so much continues to happen. So let's continue to talk about it and give you some information. Uh, The big continuing question still is, can and should employers mandate vaccines? Before the summer, uh, there seemed to be a little bit of a reluctance on the part of employers in terms of not rushing to mandate vaccines for their employees. And I think there were several reasons for that, both legal related as well as morale related. On the legal front, even though the EEOC sort of has blessed mandatory vaccine policies, as long as, of course, you accommodate for disability needs and for sincerely held religious beliefs, there was a lingering issue for a good amount of time based on the uh, FDA's status of these vaccines as being only approved under the emergency use authorization. Um, But three developments this summer, and we've talked about this on the podcast, three developments have since diminished that FDA-related concern, if not altogether eliminated it. First, as you know, in June of this summer, uh, we got a court decision from down in Texas where the Methodist Hospital was successful in rejecting claims by a group of employees that they could not be compelled to get vaccinated by or with vaccines that are just approved under the EUA process. So we got that first court decision rejecting that claim. The following month in July, uh, we finally got a long-awaited memo from the United States Department of Justice making clear at that point that Uh, the EUA process and the FDA rules surrounding the EUA process uh, does not trump an employer's ability to mandate vaccines from an employment standpoint. And then if the matter had still left any lingering doubts, just this past Monday, August 23rd, 2021, the FDA finally gave full approval to Pfizer Um, So it is not an EUA vaccine anymore. We certainly expect full approvals to be given in the next few months, both for Moderna and Johnson & Johnson, but at least for the Pfizer vaccine, that is now allowed to be marketed uh, and it is approved with final approval for those who are 16 years of age and over. So it does appear that the lingering EUA, FDA, uh, 
doubt about mandating vaccines has gone by the wayside. And I think what we have seen in certainly the past several weeks is an increase in the number of employers who are going the route of mandating vaccines. And I also think that you are starting to see an increasing number of employees who are feeling comfortable with perhaps getting the vaccine where they might not have been because of that EUA status. But of course, as much as I'd like to say this is the end of the road on this question, it is not the end of the road as questions still exist and debates are still being had on the should front, you know, whether companies should mandate vaccines, even if they're technically able to. And we're also seeing developments now that move this question from really a national and a federal front to the state and local levels. And that's where I bring in my terrific guest uh, for today's episode, John Carrigan. You know, we have had some bellwether states on the vaccine and vaccine related issues, whether it was California, New York, you know, the typical bellwether states when it comes to labor and employment issues, but other states like Texas, Florida, and even a state like Montana that doesn't really get in the news very often, but by passing legislation prohibiting mandatory vaccines or requiring proof of vaccine, they have jumped into the news. So it is really important for all of your organizations out there, not only to understand the trends, where things are going and what the rules are, on the federal levels with the CDC and otherwise, but also to understand that the jurisdictions in which you have offices or employees will largely dictate what some of these rules are and what you can do from a policy standpoint when it comes to things like mandating vaccinations. And because California continues to play such a tremendous role in all of this, I wanted to bring in one of my colleagues from the West Coast, uh, again, John Carrigan, who is a partner in our Labor and Employment Department here at Cozen O'Connor. He is resident in our Santa Monica, California offices and practices not only nationwide, but certainly with a focus on California law. So, John, thank you so much for being with us and uh, giving a little bit of your insight today. Thanks for having me, Mike, and congratulations on the 100 episodes. Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to believe and, and even more hard to believe that people are still listening to me after all your episodes. Um, so let's dive right in and talk specifically about California because we've got a lot of listeners uh, with operations or employees in California. Uh, and as I like to say all the time, even if they don't, California is a leader uh, as a state in this area. And it's important to understand what California is doing to the extent other states may follow. So Give us a sense, John, uh, right up to date, what the general lay of the land is with regard to vaccine mandates in California. Sure. Well, we're definitely seeing a push to mandates, mandates of different kinds, and, and we'll talk about that, uh, both at the private sector level uh, and uh, in the public sector. Uh, and the real kind of watershed event over the last uh, month or so uh, was an announcement by Governor Newsom a few weeks back that there was going to be a mandate for public sector employees, uh, state employees in California, but also uh, at the same time, he made an announcement for public school teachers and staff and also for uh, health care workers. So, uh, you know, non-government employees 
Um, but uh, healthcare workers, and they use the word workers, not employees, um, you know, also uh, are being required or being mandated uh, uh, under these uh, government directives uh, with respect to vaccination. And so a lot of people have talked about Governor Newsom mandating vaccines, but is it really a hard mandate or is there some wiggle room there? There is a little bit of wiggle room. You know, traditionally, when I would hear about a vaccine mandate, what I would think of is you're being told either you get vaccinated or you're losing your job. Right. And that's not really what's been said. Um, you know, his solutions, compromise solution, I kind of uh, I call it the California compromise on this. Um, so in addition to the carve outs for uh, accommodations for sincerely held religious beliefs and, and disability issues, which we've been talking about for you know all year uh, with respect to these kind of mandates. He also introduced the idea that if people don't want to be vaccinated, they don't have to be, provided that they will regularly test. And regularly test uh, varies a little bit based on what your job is. Uh, generally, it's it's once or twice a week with the twice a weeks tending to be more in the healthcare field where they uh, have more exposure to potential contagion. Uh, but the uh, the idea that people can, uh, you know, still be complying with the policy uh, without being vaccinated uh, is interesting because that's not limited to just to folks who request a, an accommodation, um, you know, under uh, his concept, it would be anybody that didn't want to be vaccinated. Yeah, and it's, it is really interesting. In New York, uh, just moving back to the East Coast, New York and New York City uh, are sort of going that way as well in terms of the option to either be vaccinated uh, or um, go through regular testing, uh, coupled with continuing to wear a mask. One of the other issues I think that's really interesting, and I think we're going to start to hear a little bit more about that, is on the wage and hour front as well. You know, the, the big debate has been and continues to be if you are mandating a vaccine, do you have to compensate uh, employees for the time spent going to get vaccinated? And again, while the rules differ somewhat, whether it's the federal level or in various other jurisdictions around the country, I think there's a, a general principle that if you are requiring them to do something like get vaccinated, you need to pay for their time. Uh, and certainly it's the conservative approach, one would argue, whether uh, it is a purely legal answer. But what's interesting to the point that you just made on this soft mandate or this wiggle room is whether it constitutes a, a requirement that would then need to be compensated if the employee is going through the testing or the vaccination as a choice. In other words, they're given the choice whether to get tested or not. Um, only if they don't get vaccinated. So do you have to pay for the time it's gonna take them to get tested if they're doing that by choice? Our interpretation under California law is that while it's uncertain, certainly the safer, uh, the safer practice would be to pay. Uh, California more than a lot of other states is really uh, on the side of employees with respect to reimbursement for uh, anything that can be considered a business expense. And, you know, certainly wanting people to get compensated for your time. Also, you know, as employers, when you're thinking about wage and hour issues and potential class actions, 
it's not just about whether you're right or wrong, but it's about whether is this a question that is, that is suitable for class treatment. Uh, a lot of times in the wage and hour space, we'll say this isn't suitable for class treatment because everybody's circumstances are so different. This would appear to present a question for a lot of employers where it's, it's a simple you're right or you're wrong issue. Uh, and that's something that a plaintiff's attorney might latch on to as a potential basis for a class action. So no, that's a great point. Um, certainly, depending on how the policy or the practice is framed and how it's implemented will certainly also have an impact on the ability to certify uh, an action as a class action on that issue. It's a great point. So going back to uh, what you were describing as this wiggle room in California, how do you think things are likely to play out when it comes to giving this sort of soft mandate? You know, that remains to be seen on some level, but I, I suspect, you know, based on human nature to the extent that I understand it, uh, that a lot of people who may have been vocally opposed to uh, getting vaccinated, uh, when they actually have to go through the inconvenience of regular testing, might decide that's just not worth it, and, and then they might back down and get vaccinated. I've seen some psychologists who, who kind of talk about this principle, and they, they think that the best way to influence behavior uh, wouldn't be to tell somebody that something horrible might happen to them at some indefinite point in the future, but to show them that something inconvenient is definitely going to happen to them at, at some point uh, where you, can, you, know when, you know what's coming. Um, and I think that there, there is something to that. Yeah, that's a great point as well. It's, uh, I guess, saying it another way, you're not implementing a policy that is punitive in nature, but you're almost, um, you know, psychologically or otherwise getting the employees to make the decision to get vaccinated themselves uh, by reason of, hey, this, this regular routine testing requirement is going to be so inconvenient and burdensome for me. Absolutely. And also people want to feel like they're hurt. You know, people don't want this is this has become a very divisive issue and people don't want to be put in a box and told our side's right. Your side is wrong. Uh, and this solution, you know, lets people arrive at the choice that they decide is better for them without necessarily having to, to feel like they're caving in. So that is a little bit of what's going on on the California state level. Uh, is there any news coming out of uh, any of the localities, uh, local jurisdictions there in California? Absolutely. Uh, San Francisco, um, as is often the case on these things, San Francisco has been, I think, the most aggressive. Um, last week, they became the first major U.S. city that's requiring patrons uh, and employees to provide proof of vaccination, and that's to enter restaurants for indoor dining, uh, for gyms, bars, and entertainment venues. Uh, and when I say they became, they, they've announced that. Not all of that's gone into effect yet. Um the, it goes into effect August or went into effect August 20th for customers. It doesn't go into effect for staff until October 13th. Uh, but a big difference here is this would not uh, allow uh, residents to submit a negative COVID-19 test result as a substitute for vaccination. Um, in addition to gyms, bars and entertainment venues, uh, it also would apply to select healthcare personnel, including pharmacists, dentists, home health aides. Um, that's in San Francisco. There has been some discussion about something similar being done in LA. Um, no action's been announced on that yet, uh, but we're continuing to monitor that. Um, 
you know, we've also seen some communities, including San Francisco, require that their city employees get vaccinated. Uh, I suspect, uh, given the FDA's approval uh, earlier this week, that we are going to see more city governments. Um, I, I think that's going to become pretty common in California, that city governments are going to require their employees to be vaccinated. And for those private sector employers who aren't necessarily covered by any of the specific uh, directives from the government, uh, what are you seeing there? See a lot more movement to quote unquote mandatory vaccination policies. Uh, but like I said, you know, not what I was thinking of, you know, a year ago when I would think of a mandatory vaccination policy where a failure to get vaccinated means necessarily a termination of employment. We're seeing a lot more of a trend, um, particularly with some, some really big employers out in California, like Netflix, Disney, Google, Facebook. We're seeing employers who, who tend to have policies along the lines of you need to be vaccinated if you are going to come back into the office or in, I think, Netflix's case, if you are going to go on to the set of a production, you're going to need to be vaccinated. But without saying explicitly, you need to be vaccinated uh, to continue to do your job. No question about it. And I think I agree with you. I mean, anecdotally, as I've said a couple of times now, I do see us uh, or see more employers uh, mandating vaccines as a policy as we've been going through the last few weeks. And I do think as we get into the fall and certainly toward the end of the year and beginning of 2022, I think we're going to see more mandatory vaccine policies. But a lot of it has really depended on industry and the type of organization that we're talking about. If you were to ask me, well, you know, Mike, beyond just the general increase that you're seeing, what are you seeing other companies doing? I think, for example, it, it depends on the nature of the roles and positions at that company. Do you have a large part of your workforce that is customer facing, public facing, or, or having positions where uh, it requires a lot of in-person team-based collaboration, as opposed to a company where a good portion of your workforce may be in positions where you're just working individually by yourself at a computer, at a phone, customer service, those kinds of things where you're not public or customer facing, you're not required to be with a team in person as often. And I also think another big factor that employers have been looking at is, is a practical one. What percentage of their workforce is currently unvaccinated and has no intention or desire to be vaccinated? Because if you've got 85, 90, 95% of your workforce who are vaccinated already, it's easier to have a mandatory vaccine policy and deal with the consequences of those who are not entitled to an accommodation and those who just simply oppose vaccines. On the other hand, if your organization you have determined is only 15, 20, 30 percent vaccinated from a practical standpoint, even if you are legally entitled to have a mandatory policy, what are you going to do if 70, 75% of your workforce just ups and, and leaves? What are you going to do? And are you in an industry where we are seeing the news that's telling us there's a labor shortage? Um, exactly. So you got a lot of these practical issues that I think are playing into what employers are doing right now. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Also, I, I've seen some businesses that kind of, in, in a way, view being able to say to their customers, uh, our folks are vaccinated, that's our policy. As, as kind of a marketing hook in a way, um, you know, in, in some cases, it might be they are serving a, a customer base that's particularly susceptible to uh, illness. 
Um, uh, in some cases, it may be that they are a, a company who's in a science or technology or, or health field, and they want to be able to say to their customers, we are people who understand science. We are people who follow science. We are people who are, are able to look at numbers and make a decision based off of that. And, and we're not going to hedge our bets here. This is what we think is right. And we're carrying it out. And that's, you know, on brand for, for the company's entire message. Yeah, no question. Uh, you, you can't underestimate the power of the optics and the psychology here that, again, putting aside the law, putting aside practical issues, companies do want to be able to show their other employees and the public that they're trying to create a safe environment. And the science is saying, um, at least currently, that you are creating a safe and healthy environment by having a vaccinated environment. I think the other thing I would throw in there is, is on the OSHA standpoint, and I know that all of you out in California uh, with Cal OSHA, you know, they're, they're a big player in all of this too, but, but you know, federal OSHA recently came out uh, with their additional talking points on all of this, and they have it surprised some people, I think. They, they came out pretty strongly in terms of really recommending that employers mandate vaccines for their employees, and if you take that uh, a little bit further, the suggestion almost is that if you don't, and if there is an issue uh, because somebody gets uh, sick, seriously sick or otherwise, uh, from an unvaccinated employee, there may be a, a general duty clause violation alleged. Yeah, uh, Cal OSHA hasn't gone that far yet. Um, it, it's possible their tune might change uh, a little bit now that we have the full authorization. Uh, but so far, you know, there's a general a general duty to maintain a safe workplace. But but Cal OSHA hasn't specifically said uh, we think that you're required to mandate. Not yet, right? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> so I want to go back for a moment uh, when you're talking again about this California compromise idea, sort of the soft mandate uh, where employees can, as an alternative, submit negative tests if they choose not to be vaccinated. Just going through that as employers are trying to figure out whether to have a little bit of a softer mandate, what do you see, John, as the advantages or the disadvantages of a strategy like that, whether in California or, or really anywhere else? Sure. Well, the, the biggest advantage, I think, is it is likely to lessen uh, conflict with your employees uh, and that whether that's with respect to uh, having to terminate anyone, uh, having employees uh, resign, uh, just general animosity uh, or, of course, litigation. I think all of those are, are less likely with this kind of compromise solution uh, with respect to, to litigation generally. You know, at this point, now that the uh, FDA has granted full authorization, I think that there's going to be less uh, in the way of litigation in terms of lawsuits attacking policies as a whole. Uh, although you, you still may see and we still would expect to see um, litigation attacking individual personnel decisions with respect to denials of uh, accommodation requests and so forth. Um, in terms of disadvantages uh, of a compromise solution like this. You know, in terms of the big picture, if you think our number one goal here is to keep everybody as safe as possible and to reduce the spread of COVID-19 as much as we possibly can, a compromise solution is probably less effective than actually having people get vaccinated. Um, 
Additionally, uh, there's costs, um, and, and it's going to bear very a little bit, I think, from state to state in terms of exactly how the responsibility shakes out on this. But, but as we were discussing earlier, there's certainly at least a risk that if the employer is not picking up costs associated with testing um, and uh, you know time to get tested, um, that you know there's some risk of, of potential wage and hour litigation there. Um, but ultimately, I think that this is really going to be an employer by employer question where you're looking at issues like, you know, what are the attitudes within your workforce? Are you facing a potential labor shortage? If you do have a, a hard requirement like this, you know, are people likely to actually, you know, walk off the job? Um, and sometimes in certain business units, it, it may be a small enough unit or you may have uh you have few enough employees in a particular area that you can you can actually think about who are who are our holdouts who are our three holdouts and what do we think that those those folks are most likely to do and and make decisions there based off of uh, uh, the employees that you know. So let's uh, sort of tie all of this together a little bit. Um, again, you know we we've just reported. I don't think it's breaking news at this point, but uh, we reported again that, that Pfizer just, just did get full authorization from the FDA. So at least that vaccine is no longer in the EUA status. Uh, John, what do you expect to change uh, in the next several days to several weeks? You know, in, in some ways, not that much. I mean, our position um, for a long time has been we thought an employer is, is legally allowed to to mandate vaccines subject to uh, addressing accommodation requests based on religion and, and disability. Uh, that position hasn't changed uh, based off of the authorization. Uh, to the extent that there has been litigation about uh, mandatory vaccine policies as a whole, uh, where plaintiffs have tried to tie their arguments to the fact that vaccines only had an emergency use authorization. So far, courts really haven't been that impressed by that argument. That was brought up in the Texas case. It was shot down there. Uh, it was brought up at the uh, uh, temporary injunction stage in a case involving Indiana University students. The judge you know, shot that argument down there. That's an issue that they tried to take up to the US Supreme Court. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court, you know, wasn't interested in hearing it. Uh, so, you know, legally in terms of that level of authorization, I don't think that much has changed. Uh, in terms of what employers are going to do and what state and local governments are going to do, I think we are going to see uh, movement to a lot of these softer mandates uh, where people are strongly encouraged, but they may have some some kind of an out uh, if they're agreeing to be tested or, you know, agreeing to continue to work remotely or something else. But I think we're going to see a lot of, of organizations uh, going forward with, with some form of mandate where they may have been waiting to do that um, until the emergency use authorization was over and there was full FDA approval. Uh, for instance, in California, I understand that there's some community college districts that had said we're waiting until we're past the EUA stage. Well, now they are. Um, in terms of the most hesitant population with respect to vaccines, I'm not sure. Uh, even some people who said I'm holding off because it's just on an EUA, I, I don't know how many of them are going to, to change their minds on that. I saw Fauci talking about that. He said he thought that might uh, going to full authorization might, you know, 
impact 20% of those people, but a lot of those people will still be uh, hesitant. Um, you know, another thing that, that conceivably could happen in California, although I don't think it will, uh, is Governor Newsom could say, well, now that we're, we're, we've got the full FDA approval, we're not uh, okay with that compromise solution anymore. Now we're not going to say testing is okay. Now we're going to require the vaccine. I don't think he's going to do that, uh, especially not in the short term with the recall coming up in September. Uh, I think he's going to stick with the policy as it is right now for a while. Um, but generally, big picture, I think more employers are going to require some kind of a mandate. I think that the overall vaccination rate is going to continue to go up. I think it's going to go up faster than it has been for, for much of the summer. Um, and hopefully, um, as that rate increases, uh, we'll outrun Delta a little bit and, and get a little bit closer to uh, normal life. Yeah, and hopefully uh, we don't have the introduction of a new variant uh, post-Delta. Uh, I think that's a great way of, of tying this all up. I, I would add a few other issues that I think we're going to start to see and, and see more of. Certainly, as we're now getting into the fall, uh, and many people are you know, six, seven, eight months past their full vaccination status, this issue of booster shots, I think, is going to reintroduce a lot of these issues and, and maybe bring back some issues uh, that we hadn't had to deal with, particularly those for those who have been fully vaccinated. You know, people, what's the availability going to be for boosters, uh, assuming that there is a requirement or a strong suggestion that everybody does get the booster shots? Will we have to go through the same uh, process to get booster shots or will they be with our primary care physicians and, and readily available? And now we're going to have to start thinking about compensability and paid time off uh, for all of our employees to sort of get re-vaccinated. So I think this issue of boosters and when and how it's going to be required will be something we have to think about. Uh, I also think, you know, we haven't mentioned the FFCRA in, in a long time. Uh, part of that's been because, at least in 2021, for the most part, it's been a voluntary scheme, no longer mandatory if, if employers want to get the benefit of the tax credits there. Um, but that is going to expire on September 30th. So we're about five weeks away from that. There's a question as to whether we will have any kind of extension of the FFCRA or other federal legislation dealing with um, required leave, required benefits, for COVID-related issues, uh, again, now that school is going to be coming back into session. And then lastly, and, and this goes to a lot of what you were talking about, John, state and local action. Are we going to be seeing more state and local governments um, take stands on mandatory vaccine policies or, or related issues? Are they going to go the way of Montana and, and prohibit mandatory vaccine policies or prohibit employers from requiring proof of uh, vaccination status. So I think in the next several weeks to several months, we need to not only keep looking and keep listening to what the federal government sources are telling us and what the cases are doing around the country, but also what the states and local governments are doing as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So John Carrigan, uh, my colleague here, partner at uh, the Labor and Employment Department here at Cozen O'Connor. Uh, this has been a great discussion, uh, informative as always, and thank you so much for joining. Thanks a lot, Mike. Well, as I said before, it is hard to believe that this is the 100th podcast episode for Employment Law Now. 
We started this on February 1st, 2017, and of course you know that because you've listened to every one of my episodes. Um, but I'm only doing this for this long because of all of the great feedback that I've gotten, because of all of the great guests who have been willing to come on to this podcast, and at the end of the day, because you are all listening to this, hopefully finding it useful, informative, and on some occasions, slightly entertaining. I can't thank you enough for all of that. I really appreciate it. And hopefully I will continue to be able to give you some useful information for yourselves and to take back to your companies over the next 100 episodes. So for all of you, again, thank you so much for listening to this episode and for the others as well. And I hope all of you have a safe and healthy end of the summer and beginning of your fall season. And until the next time, of course, I hope all of your labor is productive.